The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. little business to get out of the way for folks who are within listening uh, radius of my voice on the radio, as opposed to those of you who are listening online, uh, the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati meets tomorrow evening at its new location on the Ramada, at the Ramada Inn on Chester. I say new, it's been there for several months now, but uh, um, good meeting coming up tomorrow night. The early meeting from six to seven is about how to apply e-myth principles if you don't know what e-myth principles are, you better Google that because every real estate entrepreneur should be applying e-myth principles to your real estate business and run it more like a business, more according to systems, um, less you being involved in every freaking single thing that has to be done. The main meeting at 7.30 is how to estimate repair costs with Mike Jacka. And uh, if you intend to come to that as a member or a guest, you probably need to go to CincinnatiRia.com and go ahead and RSVP. We have more RSVPs for this meeting than I think we have had at any meeting since we started that system where you can uh, download a free guest pass or just let us know you're coming and uh, if we need to get an extra you know section of the ballroom we need to know that so uh, it is open to the public uh, if you've never been to a RIA meeting you can download a free guest pass at CincinnatiRIA.com otherwise if you are a member or a returning guest at least let us know you're coming CincinnatiRIA.com my guest today is Mike Jacka. Uh, he's uh, here in town, but not joining me in the studio because he's giving the uh, same talk tonight at the Greater Dayton Rhea meeting. Uh, if you, uh, I don't know, can maybe attend that one in Canton, Cincinnati, that would be a great thing to do. But he is uh, getting ready to go on stage up there. So he is joining me by phone. Mike is a 20-year veteran of the real estate investing business. Largely known as a rehabber, but also has done wholesale deals, rentals, lease options, creative uh, buying, all of that sort of thing. And he is here tonight to discuss the the controversial, confusing, but important topic of multiple offer strategies. Mike, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. I don't hear Mike. 
I love it when this happens. This is this is so awesome. It's okay. We'll fix it in post-production. We're not on the radio live or anything like that. Mike, just hang on. They've got a they've got a um, I guess they've got a switch they have to flip or something. My the engineer Mike just ran out of the room and seems to think he can solve the problem. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm just tap dancing. You're doing a great job, thank you, thank you, Mike. This 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 has happened often enough that I've learned to just keep talking. Mike, can you hear me? I can. Yes. There you are. Hi, Mike. See the do you see the difference between a a, a live radio show and a recorded webinar? We just would we just would have wiped all of that out, and no one would have known anything had gone wrong if we were recording a webinar. Oh well. Yes, indeed. Um, All right. So, Mike, uh, although what you are what you are talking about um, at the various RIA groups, I know you were you were in Columbus last night. Huge crowd. um, Dayton tonight, uh, Cincinnati tomorrow. And I know you're you're kind of going around the country these days and and sharing your strategies of uh, um, how to make uh, repair estimates, which is you know a very uh, clearly important topic to people or they wouldn't be turning out in such droves your real your real message that you you struggle with trying to deliver you know in the in the light of the fact that people came to hear how much it costs to put in a window is how how you use that information right cuz 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 knowing how much it's going to cost yeah. to rehab a house does does you no good whatsoever if you're not going to then turn around and say to the seller and thus Here's what I can pay you. <laughs> right. And what I've found from working with uh, my members back in Minnesota and work, now working with students all over the country over the last couple of years is the, the biggest hurdle for them to get over in the beginning is how to get to that repair estimate. But then I still see them stall out and not even make any offers because, okay, they figured out the hardest part of the whole thing is for what's going to cost re- to repair the property. But then they still don't know what to do, and, and they're not comfortable analyzing the deal, figuring out what the after-repaired value is, coming up with the cash offer on the property. What if the seller has a ton of equity? Now what do you do? Do you just make that low offer and move on and hope they accept it? Or And I show them tools and strategies that well, you can still get your low, lower cash offer, but I present it in a more professional manner where I'm building rapport with them, where it gets to the point where they're almost happy to take our offer that we, when we first ran the numbers, may have thought, that's a really low number. I don't know if the seller is going to like that or not. It is shocking uh, when you first start doing these evaluations and you, you, you start hearing from other investors that there's formulas you're supposed to use, right? I, I need to pay no more than 70% of the after-repaired value, in the, but then I have to subtract the repair costs when I get to that number. And you start out with a house that you're you're thinking, well, this is a $150,000 house fixed up, but it needs $50,000 in work. And you're coming out with a number that you can offer of like 65. Or if you're, if you're a wholesaler, that 65 isn't even 65, it's 55. And I think it does turn people on, you know, I think it does like turn their heads around sometimes uh, when they go, wait a minute, I started with 150 and now I'm down at 65. That doesn't seem fair that doesn't seem right that doesn't seem like the number could possibly be that low let me well and think about it from the seller standpoint mm-hmm. they're thinking the house is worth 150 
in their eyes, it doesn't need $50,000 worth of work. It needs $5,000 of cleanup and maintenance. And they, in their mind, they're thinking, well, oh boy, if I, you know, even if I sold it and I put $5,000 into it, I'm going to net $135,000 before I pay off the mortgage. Mm-hmm. Well, no, you're not. Mm-hmm. Not even close. That's not even in, in the realm of reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this this uh, perspective of multiple offer strategies, which I know you you you're um, you're a big fan of being able to tell the seller more than one thing that you can do for them, uh, is I am I am because a lot a lot of the properties these days now that we've gotten through the recession, they've they've got equity in them again. Mm-hmm. So how do you deal with the, the properties that have equity? That's where I see the biggest struggle for a lot of investors is they're not comfortable just going out and making that cash offer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even if they are comfortable, they don't know they don't know how to do it in a manner where it doesn't offend the sellers by coming in and saying, "Here, my, here I can offer you hundred, you know, sixty five thousand dollars for your hundred fifty thousand dollars house." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's still ways of doing it if you if you understand the psychology of selling properties. From the seller standpoint, very and that's good. That's what I try to help teach. Yes, and and we're going to we're going to really we, we've got the time today to really explore the the multiple offer strategy topic since we're going to and we've got a national audience here. It's a little hard to talk about estimating repair costs to a national audience when roofs in Florida cost a whole lot more than you know roofs in Minnesota do. But um, we're going to get into everything from how do you even decide which sellers to make offers to uh, what are the um, uh, components of a multiple offer? How what, what results should you expect? Like how many should you expect to make before you get a yes, but first we do need to take a quick break. So listeners, uh, we are live today, unless you're listening to the podcast, in which case we are definitely not live. And we can take your questions on this multiple offer strategy at 877-772-9658. That's the toll-free number, of course, 877-772-9658. If you're going to ask a question that's got a lot of numbers in it, if you're going to ask a question like, well, I wanted to make an, a seller an offer that was like this, and what other offer could I make them? Please email it, okay? <laughs> email it to uh, askvina at gmail.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. Um, I just got an email that reminded me of something that's happening here locally over the course of the next uh, uh, 10 days or so. Um, a fellow emailed me and asked me about a um, uh, an event that Cincinnati Rhea is doing here in the area. It's called... Um, 2017 market update and it's just it's 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 a three-hour free workshop and it's basically about like where we are in the in the market cycle when we're likely to see another downturn how to deal with some of the really big stuff that's happening in the market right now the big obstacles that are happening in the market right now and strategies that are kind of the low-hanging fruit strategies that don't really work that well in a hot market um it's it's just a good you know overview to kind of get you centered on you know, what should you be doing right now and, and what should you be planning to do in the next 18 months or so. Um, that is being paid for by Cincinnati RIA. So there's no charge to come, but you do need to RSVP for that. 
we're not we're not going to have a handout for you. We're not going to have a seat for you if you don't RSVP. Uh, you can come from where you know wherever you are. It's not specific to Cincinnati area people. In fact, there's some other dates too on the website. I'm I'm going to be in Nashville tomorrow giving the same exact talk. Indianapolis on uh, I don't know sometime next week, next Tuesday. So you might want to check it out. Uh, it is a good presentation. This guy emailed me and said he missed it and was asking. He missed it when I was up in uh, Youngstown. And was asking me to, if there was any other opportunities to go to it. So uh, the website to RSVPRE, again, at no charge, this is just like a service of the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association, is um, trainwithvena.com. Trainwithvena.com. So um, check that out. Uh, my guest today is Mike Jacka. Mike is... Uh, He's, he's a lot of things. He's a, he's a group leader. He uh, runs the Minneapolis RIA group. He's a real estate investor. He has put together a, um, a software system that a lot of your colleagues probably use. And we're talking today about um, something that just, it, when you talk to Mike, you can just tell it really bugs him that people don't know this. <laughs> well, it does. <laughs> when we were talking last night after the, the meeting in Columbus, you said, they want to hear the repair estimate thing. And I get it. It's important. But what's really important is that they understand how to make the offers. So this is your, right. this is your big chance. And and it'll be it'll be recorded okay. for posterity. All the RIA groups can put it on their website. Mike tells you how to make multiple offers, and then everyone will know. And you can go back to talking about what people come to hear you for, which is the um, you know repair estimates. <laughs> so, um, right. let, let's let's let let's begin with um, just 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 left swiping some stuff here, okay? Because uh, making sure that you're even making an offer to the right person, I think is a crucial first step. Um, I think a lot of people get like way down this path without realizing they're not even talking to a seller who's motivated. Right. And they have to be talking to a motivated seller or we can't help them. And there's different levels of motivation. I mean, obviously if you're a seller, you're motivated, but what is your motivation? And if, you know, if your motivation is simply to see what, you know, how much you can get for your property, well, yeah, we can make all the offers, until we're blue in the face, until we make a full price, all cash offer that the seller would accept, they're not going to sell to us. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to be buying it at that price because there's for full cash because it's not going to make any sense for us as investors. So how, how do you weed them out and how do you determine? And one of my favorite techniques or a little, I don't know if you want to call it a trick, but when I'm talking to the seller and they're, you know, they call up and say, yeah, I want to sell my house and ask them some questions. One of the first things I ask them to determine what their true motivation, I shouldn't say they're true, but the type of motivation, is I'll ask them this question specifically. Tell me about your situation. And it's really interesting the responses you get when you ask that question that way. And I'll repeat that again. Tell me about your situation. Because somebody who's interested only in cash and they want the most amount of money, they want retail price, and they want all cash, and they want to close quickly. When I ask that question, their response back to me is they're going to start telling me how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, what the square footage is, how much money they spent on the backyard, the new addition they put on the property last summer, all these different things about the property. And when they're mine, they're trying, their situation is they're trying to justify the price that they're asking to me. Mm -hmm. right, well, 
that tells me that they're motivated for price, not because they have some other situation where they need a problem taken care of, versus the type of motivated sellers we're usually looking for are the ones when I ask that question and I say, please tell me about your situation, and they'll start telling me about a divorce, a job transfer, uh, the property was inherited, uh, the transmission on their vehicle went out last month and now they can't make this month's mortgage payment, and the kids, you know, because of the schools or the athletics or whatever, the finances are tight, or they've got another baby on the way and they don't have enough room. They're talking about their life situations, and sometimes I'll spend a half an hour on the phone with the seller and we'll never even talk about the property. That's a motivated seller. Those are the types of people we're working with. I want to work with, and when we work with those type of people, by the time we get down to actually making the offer, it's more likely that they're going to want to accept our offer because we're making an offer that fits their needs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I ask I ask a, a similar question right at the beginning, which is, "Tell me your story," and then I just shut up. Yep. And if and the, the if the story exact, they tell me is same thing. Yeah, if the story they tell me is well, we just put on a deck, I probably we're not going to get to the stage of making multiple offers because probably we're not going to get to the stage of making offers because you know, we don't in in as as real estate entrepreneurs we have to we have to have spreads right? It's just, it's the nature of our business that we either have to have a spread on what can I, what can I have in the house versus what would it be worth when I was finished with it? So purchase price plus repairs versus what would it be worth? There's got to be a spread there or there has to be a spread in the monthly payment. What is outgoing versus what is incoming. And if we can't get either of those two things, because what we need and what the seller needs just don't jibe, it's not a big deal. It's not something to get all rejected over. People say, oh, they rejected my offer. Like, you know, like they said, you're fat and ugly and your mom addresses you funny and get out of my life. And it's not, it shouldn't, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be looking at it that way, right? We should be looking at it as, well, told them what I could do. Didn't work. Right. And that, that's all we can do. Figure out what, how we can help them make our offers based on how we can help them or it still makes financial sense for us. And then present the offer, whether it's one offer, two offers, three offers. And I'm typically, most of the time, I'm either making one offer because there's only one thing I can do, or I'm making two or three offers and giving them options saying, I can do this, or I can do this, or I can do this. And when you do that, it gives them more to think about and not, hey, here's my cash offer, take it or leave it. Because I don't like that, that mentality of take it or leave it. It's because I'm here to help them. Mm-hmm. That's really what this is a people business. Mm-hmm. You know, if we can help somebody and feel good about what we're doing, then you know we're going to sleep well at night mm-hmm. and make a lot of money at the same time. Sure, of course. And the the strategy that 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 you use of really evaluating both the seller's full situation and also the full situation with the property and the financing and all that stuff and making uh, more than one offer is more involved but it's also more effective. So rule number one is because it's more involved, don't get very far down the road until you're pretty sure that the owner is flexible as to price or terms or both. Right. And that's why if we can figure out 
you know, if they start telling us about their life situation and they have a need to sell, then that's more, more likely we're going to be able to help them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I give, I give an example, and I shared it with uh, the Corey, the Central Ohio group last night for you guys, is a couple of years ago I had this lady, and this is very typical, but the way she presented me when I was talking to her was so profound that I, it's just, it's got every lesson in it of what to do right to get the property. Because this lady had said, please don't even bother wasting your time if you cannot make me an offer of 200000 Now, this is in a higher price market where the after-repaired value on the property after you did all the renovation was a little over 300000 And she said, do not make me an offer for less than, if you cannot make it for less than 200 for at least $200,000. And I had asked her, why? Why are you stuck on the $200,000? And she had said to me, because the property's worth 300, 310, 320, I can't remember exactly, but let's say it's 300. If you buy it for $200,000 and you put $40,000 into it for renovation, you're going to make a tight, nice profit. <laughs> like, uh, okay, the logic is correct, lady. I didn't even have a comeback to her. I didn't know what to say at that point because she's right. The logic is right. Now, her numbers were wrong because when I went and did the math, First of all, she was saying $40,000 ended up being $60,000. She was thinking about it because here's the thing. Her and her husband were general contractors, and they've been doing this for the last 20 years, buying properties, fixing up while they lived in it, and then selling them after three years. So they could take the capital gains and keep rolling it over. And they had just bought this property, and then her husband had passed away. Mm. So now she stuck with the property. So she knew what it was going to cost. What she did not realize was – what I had to point out to her is the fact that her $40,000 – I asked her if, if I had to hire you to do the exact same amount of work, would you do it for forty thousand? She's like, Well, no, of course not. I'm like, Okay, well, what would you do it for? She's like, oh, probably for about sixty. I'm like, And sixty is the number I came up with. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Oh, okay. But she wouldn't. She's still insistent on the two hundred thousand. And she had already turned down one hundred seventy-five thousand and one hundred eighty-five thousand dollars all cash offer. So when I ran the numbers, my cash offer was going to be one hundred fifty-seven thousand, not the two hundred she was asking for. But because I knew she was motivated and flexible, I started asking more questions as to how I could help her. And one of the things that I, one of the key determining things, I said, "What are you going to do if you do not sell the property? If I cannot come up with your two hundred thousand dollar offer, what are you going to do?" And she said, "Well, I can stay in the property because I, I am getting Social Security and it will cover my mortgage and expenses, but I won't have enough extra income or extra money to go and have coffee and uh, coffee with the girls on Friday morning." So now I know one of her motivating factors is the extra income, and she thinks by selling the house, she's going to have that extra income. So I just said, well, what if I could figure out a way to get closer to $200,000 uh, by uh, taking over your existing mortgage and then paying you a monthly payment on the difference? Well, I'd entertain it, but she said, I'm not going to take it. Well, I did that, and I made her a, also made her a $175,000 offer and a $200,000 offer. Now, the $200,000 offer was no down payment, no interest on the seller carry back with a, I think, a 10 or 11-year payoff on it. And then a, the 175 was just a, it's a middle price in between my cash offer and my full price offer. And it had a little bit of a down payment, so it was a, a mix of the two. She called me back after I sent her the offer, and she said, Mike, I want to thank you. She said, nobody has ever done this for me before. The amount of time and effort, I really, really appreciate it, and I'm leaning towards your $200,000 offer. And I'm like, yes, I'm going to get a house for no money down. Well, as time went on, a few days passed, 
called me back. She says, all right, here's the thing. My son's friend offered me $165,000. I want, I like 200. I now understand that I'm not going to get the 200, uh, for cash. I, I need the cash. So, but he offered me 165, but I would rather sell it to you hmm. because of all the work and effort I did to build the report, which really wasn't much other than asking her some questions and ex- explaining her the numbers. And then, you know, by the time I got around to making the offer, I gave her options. I didn't say, this is my offer, take it or leave it. I gave her options. And she called me back and said, I'd rather sell it to you. Would you buy it for 165? Mm-hmm. Now, she just told me a few days before, don't even bother making an offer for less than 200 Most people would have just walked from that when they looked at their number because they didn't know what to do. But because I gave her the options, I still ended up buying it for roughly the 157 is what my mail came in at, and I bought it for the 165 mm-hmm. because of the way I did it. Mm-hmm. So it improves your odds of getting the offers accepted Very when you do it the right way. Very, very good and very true. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about the difference between people who do have equity in their houses and don't have equity in their houses in terms of how you approach them with these multiple offers. If you have questions for Mike Jacka about how to make multiple offers, uh, 877-772-9658 or send us an email, askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Mike Jacka. And um, we're talking about multiple offer strategies. We're also taking calls and emails. You can call 877-772-9658. You can also... um, Give us send us an email. Just send it to askvina at gmail dot com. And I'm checking the emails, and there's there's a couple of questions here already, Mike, that we should probably get out of the way. Uh, this okay. one is from uh, Morris in Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, ask Mike about presenting offers where the seller would bring would need to bring significant amounts of cash to closing in order to accept the offer. Uh, so in other words, I'm sure you've had this scenario, but this is for listeners who might not have seen it. Um, sometimes the number that you come up with is less is, <laughs> than the amount owed. Yeah, it's a, it's a negative number, and those are my favorites. I mean, I I go out and sell. Every time I get a seller to write me a check to buy their house, I immediately go out and celebrate because those, those are the funnest days. But it's a little challenging for most people because they don't quite understand that concept of why a seller would do that or even how to get a seller to do that in the first place. And one of the things, and you had mentioned earlier, that I do have the software that I built for the members. And it's for the, if you're a member of the RIAs, you can get access to the, the RIA through Corey, um, Dayton RIA, Cincinnati RIA, whichever, even Youngstown up at, um, was it Mahoming Valley up there? The software that I've developed for the for analyzing the properties and putting together the offers, part of what we do is, is it's called a seller net sheet. And I developed this one years ago because as a realtor, I would present my offers, you know, from as a realtor and an offer would come in. I would submit my offer to a seller and I wanted the seller to know what the net was going to be. So if they accepted that offer, 
what were they going to net at closing, and then we just move on. Okay, well, I started running into the problem there where now as an investor, I'm doing the exact same thing. I'm making my offer, but the seller didn't grasp the concept of your net. Yeah, you, you think you got $130,000 in net. You pay off your mortgage of 100000 you got $30,000 left. Well, you might not have anything left, or you might even be at a negative number. And the first time that this happened to me, so I used the seller net sheet because I ran into this lady, and I'm like, my offer's not going to make sense to her. I'm trying to figure out how to do this. I'm like, ah, seller net sheet. And I whipped up a quick little seller net sheet from the seller, and it showed a negative number. And I emailed it to her. Now, this lady was in a different state, and she had a vacant house in Minnesota. And emailed it to her. She, she looked at it, ran some numbers, emailed it back to me. And then I'm like, oh, now her negative number is even greater. And she said, I can make that payment. Mm-hmm. So I, I would rather do that because the realtor already told me that's about what it's going to cost. And if you're willing to, I'll just write you the check. And it was, you know, for around $3,000 at that time. Mm-hmm. So bottom like, line oh, is you is just so go cool. ahead and you go ahead and make the offer. You don't struggle over it. You don't sit there and wonder if you're going to offend somebody or if they're, you know, going to be right. mad or whatever. You just go ahead and tell them what you can do. Right. But you have, when you run into those scenarios, you have to run those numbers with the seller. Mm-hmm. You can't just run the numbers yourself at your office or at home. And grab a calculator or a computer software program and an Excel spreadsheet and run the numbers and say, oh, if the seller writes me a check for $2,500, I'll take the house and then tell the seller that. You just floored the seller and they're in shock and they're going to be upset. So they haven't already been prepped by a realtor who has already done that. You need to be able to do that with them. And that's why like part of the software I developed is a seller net. But anybody can do it. Just grab a notepad and say, this is what you owe. This is what your expenses are going to be. This is the real estate commission. This is going to be your estimated closing costs, your you know, state transfer taxes, all that, pay off your mortgage, you're going to be upside down. And then you can just say, I'll tell you what, if you, if you can write that check, if you can pay me that amount, I'll take over your mortgage. I'll do a land contract or I'll do it subject to or however else you're going to do it in your area. And that's how you can get the sellers to say yes from time to time. Mm-hmm. They won't always say yes because they can't. Sometimes they don't, they don't have the money. But if they are upside down, I at least give them that opportunity. They will definitely not say yes if you don't ask. Correct. <laughs> that's been that's been yeah. my experience. So Morris, um, I mean, I think the, I think Mike's advice is good. Don't don't just like be you know spring it on them. Hey, I'm going to pay you less than what you owe on your house. Show them why, and. You know, if they choose to be offended by the house, the fact that their house can't afford their mortgage, then I guess that's the way it is. Uh, second question here from uh, JC in Las Vegas, who positively uh, loves to not follow instructions. He's he's <laughs> he's kind of kind of known for this. Um, he says, I know you're not talking about inspecting properties and estimating on this show. However, will you please ask Mike about doing that when the subject property is currently occupied by tenants? Then I assume it needs everything. If you can't get into it. Is that what he means by yes. the, the tenants are <laughs> there you can't get in there? Then I do a visual exterior inspection and I just assume it needs everything inside. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and JC, remember, you can always 
make that offer contingent on getting in and say, say, look, you know, if, if you can get me in, this number could go up. Because obviously yeah. I had to do it this way. Yeah, and I just did that this last uh, last uh, the spring. I had uh, bought a I bought three properties or uh, du- uh, not duplexes, townhouses, and I looked. I was only able to see one of the three units that the lady owned. The other two units were in different buildings, different shape. We went and looked at the one because it was vacant. The other two had tenants in there, and she was she was too embarrassed or whatever wouldn't even take me over there and show me. So I drove by and did the exterior, but I talked to the seller and got a feel for what it was, was going to need. And it was a tenant prop. I mean, there's tenants in there. So I just assumed you need paint carpeting. Um, the, and the major, the major things inside of the house, except for the mechanicals. And then I, you know, I asked the seller when were the mechanicals done, all that stuff. I think one of them, I figured I had to replace the furnace. The other one, I think everything else was fine. And I made my offer based on that. And I did make it contingent upon uh, physically inspecting the property, and if the af- and if she was willing to show me the properties after we already had it under contract, and two two of the properties actually needed to be short sales, so I took the one property, was able to get it, uh, sold it on a lease option, and then one of them we're still working the short sale on, and the other one the short sale I mean wasn't much of a short sale, so the bank accepted it and we went ahead and, and uh, sold that one right away. Mm-hmm. So I own one of them right now, and I got the other one that we're working the short sale. And we did it just that way. Mm-hmm. So your your preferred way of doing things is to have the ability to say to the seller, I can do this offer if you need all cash. I can do this higher offer if you can let me make payments for a while. And I can make this even higher offer if you will let me make payments until the property is paid off. And that's that's what we mean by like multiple offer strategies. What yes. is like? What would cause you not to be able to make all three offers? When the seller is upside down, it'd be one example. Another one would be, let's say, the seller was asking hundred fifty thousand dollar property, and they already knew it needed work, and they're saying, you know, what, I, I just want to get seventy five thousand dollars out of this thing. Well, if my mail came in at seventy five thousand dollars, and they're asking seventy five thousand dollars. They're going to say yes. Basically, they've already said yes. So why go to the step, the next couple steps of trying to come up with multiple offers unless the sellers indicated that they want payments? But if they've indicated they just want cash and your number comes in very close to what they're asking for it, well, you're pretty much done at that point, mm-hmm. which is very common in, the, in, in our rental markets because a lot of those properties, the sellers are already asking about what we were, go- we're going to be willing to pay for them anyways, because they already know it. They've been through other investors. They've talked to the realtors. They know that this is the going rate, and it's not a rehab type of an area. Let me just make the cash offer. The other one would be is if they're upside down, um, and I just did this one last fall, and this is, gets along to lines of what I was talking about last night with the estimating repairs and having a good grasp on that. And it's also when you're presenting your offer, it isn't so much about just making the offer. It's also about presenting your case to the seller. Because I had a seller last summer where I only made the one offer, and it was a subject to offer. The lady had sold the uh, – the husband had moved to California, and the wife had stayed in Minnesota uh, to get the house sold. Well, they'd listed the house for six months, 
and it did not sell. In the hottest market that we've had in years, it did not sell. So I had, she'd asked me to take a look at the property. I went through it. She said, you, you can take over my mortgage. Just make the payments on it, but I need $20,000. My $20,000. Okay, ran through the numbers. I said, I need $40,000 worth of re- renovation to get the property in market condition. Now, it was livable as it was. This is one of the things about that's fun about this business because a lot of these properties were estimating full-blown repairs on. They're still livable as they are. When I sat down with her to, to show the numbers, look, you're asking $20,000. I need $40,000 worth of renovation. That puts this thing at a break even. And she's like, oh, no, it only needs $20,000 worth of repairs. So you just give me the $20,000 and do the $20,000 in repairs, and then we'll be good. I'm like, no, it doesn't work that way. I said, where'd you come up with the $20,000 repair budget? She said, well, from my husband. I'm like, well, he gets that number. She says, well, he just did. I'm like, okay. So she called her husband right then and there while we're sitting at our kitchen table and explained to him what the situation was. And I said, have you seen the scope of work? And the scope of work is something that I put together. It's automatically generated after estimating repairs. And he said, no, I have not seen the scope of work. So she emailed it to him. We walked through the scope of work line by line. And he's like, oh, I didn't realize it needed this, or I didn't realize it would be that expensive. And after three minutes of just showing him the supporting information, why I came up with my numbers, he said, honey, just sign the deed and come down here. We don't need the money. Hmm. <laughs> One offer, but I used the documentation. She was insistent on $20,000. But when you present it the right way with your, to sell your story and why you can help them the way you can help them, they tend to say yes. Very now somebody good. else said, how are you going to... How are you going to convince someone needs forty thousand dollars of the work when they're in their mind they're set at twenty? And I didn't have to do anything other than just show them what the tools that I already had available. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very good. Now we need to take one more quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about this equity issue. This: what if they have equity, don't have equity, uh, and wrap up today's show. So uh, if you have any last minute questions, ask Vina at gmail dot com or eight seven 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 two nine six five eight. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Davina Jones-Cox. Uh, we have a call on the line that has just come in from Russell in Connecticut. Russell, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Yes. Hi, Russell. Uh, yes, my, my question... Hi, how are you? Uh, my question, too, is about uh, the timeline when you mentioned the different uh, choices, the different, I mean, mm. the different amounts, the yeah. offers. That's a great uh, question. Does it yeah. do, so, Mike? Does it does it is the cash offer like, you know, one we can close for cash in this many days, or we can close if I take over your loan for this many days? Is that your question, Russell? Yes, or if it's over months or years, if you're holding a note. Okay. Yeah. So the way I try to do it is is when I'm making my cash offer after I've gone through and figured out what the cash offer is going to be, on my offer I just say we can close in 30 days or sooner, but I also tell the seller at, or at your convenience. The, then I make my so I do the cash offer. Then I do my figure out what my highest price offer is going to be, and that one okay. I want to try and stretch out for as long as possible. So I might take and I try to figure out a minimum of three hundred dollar a month positive cash flow. The greater mm-hmm. the, the greater the cash flow, the better. So figure out whatever your minimum is. Take that number, divide it by you know what you need for what you can give to the seller. Divide that by your 
total that you plan on offering the seller as a carryback, that's going to be the term, whether it's 10 years, whether it's 15 years. And I always tell them it's going to be like they'll pay it off in 183 months. Okay. Okay. Put it that way. And then my middle offer, my middle offer is a combined offer between the cash offer and the full price offer. That one I usually give them uh, from a little bit of cash down payment. And then I, I do a smaller monthly payment, which increases my cash flow when I hold on to the property for the long term. And then I usually mm-hmm. offer them a five-year balloon. I give them a five-year okay. balloon option on that, which they almost never take. They ne- almost never take my middle offer. They're usually going to take, and here's my percentages, about 60 to 70% are going to take my cash offer or a variation of the cash offer we're going to negotiate a little bit. They don't always take exactly, but uh, most of them do. Or they take my full price long-term offer, and very rare do they ever take my middle offer, but my middle offer just shows them that I can do any of those, but the higher the price, the less money they're getting from me. And that's what my middle offer is intended to explain to them, is that, hey, if okay. you want the higher price, you're getting less money down. What's more important? Right, and it's over a longer period of time, too, which is the key thing. Yes. Correct. And the shorter one, though, the, the, the middle one does give them a balloon payment in there that, mm-hmm. you know, we can, we'll do a balloon, and that doesn't uh, interfere with Dodd-Frank because the, they can sell it to us as the, as the homeowner with a balloon payment in there because they're only selling one property. Mm-hmm. So they can do the balloon payment. It's, the balloon payments become an issue when we're the seller. But if we're the buyer, the seller and their homeowner, they're not an investor and they're only doing one. Then that does not Dodd Frank does not become an issue for that. Okay. All right, Russell. All right, great. Okay, right, thank you. And that was a that was a that's a great question. Um, you know the the yes, fact that the, the the fact that the time frames change and and really even you know what you are using to um, document the offer might change between offers number two and three, right? It may be a subject two versus a land oh. contract. So yeah, there is there is a little bit uh, to this that that you need to think through and learn. But I mean, the important the important uh, sort of mindset change we're trying to create today is number one: make sure you're making offers to motivated sellers. Number two: make sure you understand what's motivating them, because that can make a big difference in how how you present the offer and what offer you present. Number three. Give them options if you can give them options. Now, let's deal with this equity issue because you you said uh, very early on that now that a lot of people have equity in their properties, in other words, you're not dealing with a bunch of people who are, you know, I owe $298,000 on my $300,000 house, uh, that your strategy's changed a little bit. Yes. Uh, And that's where Russell's question we were just talking about is how to handle those ones where it does have the equity. So if a property is worth $150,000 and the seller owes $120,000, but it doesn't need any work. So those are the types of properties. Well, how do you deal with that? Well, I still run my cash offer, and my cash offer might come in at seventy dollars or $80,000. So and I explained to the seller, look, I can make you the cash offer, but you're going to have to write a big, fat check. And I kind of tell it to that way in a joking manner when I'm talking to them, just to say, you know, it's not going to be what you expect, but I can get to your 120 if I just took over your payments on your mortgage. Or let's say they owe 100 on the 150, and now I'm willing to give them up to 130. Maybe they're asking 130. The prop doesn't need any work, and they said, you know, 
I'm willing to take payments for it, but I will not sell it to you for less than 120 whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we know what they got for their equity. Let's say it's $20,000. All right, well, here's how, we're, here's how I can handle it, and I make them that third offer, that higher price offer of the 120. We'll take over your mortgage of 100, and we'll do a seller carry back for 20, and I'll pay you $163.75 a month until paid off. And that might take, you know, 120 months. Right. And I like taking a 10 year time frame to pay that off. And so what I do is I'll, I'll do that $20,000. I'll divide it by 120. That'll be my monthly payment. But then I need to look at, okay, well, what can I sell it for on, if I was going to resell it on a land contract or on a lease with the option, will I have some cash flow in there? And I'm looking for, for the most part, I'm looking for a two to $300 a month minimum. I try to get higher. But with that all cash, you know, higher price, no money down strategy, I'm willing to do it for a, a smaller cash flow on it. And if the sellers accept it, great. And then if they, then I'll come in with another offer, maybe say half of that equity of that 120 to let's see, to 20,000. I might make it a 110 thousand dollars second offer. And that'll be my middle offer. Mm-hmm. And then I'll give them an offer of like say a thousand dollars for a down payment. And a smaller monthly payment, and I might stretch that one out over, say, 15 years, and then give them a 10-year balloon or a five-year balloon on it, just to entice them to take that lower price offer, with a very small down, and I got the property under control for five years or own it for five years before I have to deal with that carry back to the seller on a balloon payment. And that's there's other strategies we can deal with if you still own it after five years that are very easy to deal with those types of properties. You can refinance them. A lot of times you can help your tenant buyers cash them out. A lot of times you can get the sellers to extend the the term on that loan for another two, three, five years. There's all kinds of different things we can do with that. So that, you know, if they did accept your balloon payment, that's not a non-issue at this point. Many, many easy ways to deal with that, even if you can't qualify for it and refinance it yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good advice. We have just like a like literally a, a minute left, Mike. So um, for somebody who's sitting in their car or listening to us on the web and thinking, man, that is slick. I love that. I can totally see how sellers would, you know, maybe be more likely to accept my offer if I could give them more than one. What would you say their next steps would be? Their next steps would be is to start analyze and start looking and understanding the, the, t- the time value of money and, and looking at what exit strategies could be. Because if you sell it does accept a long-term offer and your higher price, you can't just turn around and rehab the property and sell it. So you need to start looking at what your exit strategies and start looking at lease options and understanding the lease option concept. You need to learn what uh, the term subject to means, how to take over a mortgage, and understand the consequences of, of that. Because, uh, I mean, the lender could call that loan due. You need to understand that whole side of it so that when you do start making those offers, if the seller accepts them, you now know what to do with the property. So you got to figure out your exit strategies. It's not as simple as put $20,000 in to renovate it and resell it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can hold Well, very good, Mike. And properties. we are out of time, but we are looking forward to seeing you here tomorrow night at the RIA of Greater Cincinnati meeting. Folks who want to RSVP for that, uh, the topic being 
how to estimate repair costs. should do that at CincinnatiRIA.com. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.